0: So, brothers and sisters in Jesus, uh, about this same time of year, I think it was almost the exact same time of year, when I was a senior in high school, a terrible tragedy happened to our varsity soccer team. And as I look back at it, I recognize that maybe it wasn't actually a terrible tragedy, but at the time it felt like one. So this was the terrible tragedy that happened senior year of high school in roughly October was that our starting goalie, was no longer able to play soccer anymore. So the reason was that he got sick. And specifically, he got mono, also known as the kissing disease. Gross, right? Um, So the doctor told him he wasn't allowed to play soccer anymore. Um, And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, doesn't soccer have 11 players on the field? And isn't the goalie the guy who just stands there at the end in a different colored jersey while everybody else runs around and does most of the work? And don't you have a backup goalie? And the answer to all those questions would be yes. But the problem came in when we got to our next practice session and we started taking a little closer look at the backup goalie. Now, I would like to preface this by saying the backup goalie is a wonderful human being, a great friend in high school, a really, really nice guy, But on the soccer field, the fact was simply, he was a little bit shorter, he was a little bit slower, he was a little bit less athletic than the starter. So in practice, as we're shooting around before practice, it quickly became evident that if you kick the ball fairly hard and not directly to him, like, he might not stop it. And so it was amazing then to see how this this realization transformed the way that our entire team played soccer in the next game. So I played defense and the whole game I was terrified that the other team was going to take a shot because if it was a decent shot, they were probably gonna score. So I was very pressed back, I was very cautious, I was not passing the ball up the field, I was just defending and then the midfielders were also very terrified, very cautious, they were only defending and then our offensive players, they didn't wanna take any risks or any chances because if they turned the ball over, the other team is probably going to get a shot, and they're probably going to score. So we all just played very tentative, very cautious, and we completely lost our aggressive style of play. We took very few chances, very few shots. We scored very few goals. We won very few games. Like I said, it was a tragedy. But this story has a happy ending to it, and the happy ending is that at the end of the year, we got our goalie back. The doctor cleared him that he was able to play, And now in the next game when we had like our starting original goalie, it was amazing how the whole vibe changed. Instead of uncertainty creeping up the field from the goalie to the front, now we had confidence spreading up the field from the goalie to the front. Like the first game with the starting goalie back, the other team got a shot and they kicked it right into the corner and our goalie did this incredible Superman move and punched the ball out of bounds and we remembered like this guy can stop anything He's got our backs back here. So instead of being so worried and so cautious, we pressed up, we took chances, we scored goals, and we won some games, and we actually went on a nice little playoff run to end my senior year. So what is the point of this little memoir? Well, the point is simply this. It is amazing how well you can perform when you know that somebody's got your back. It is also amazing how badly you can perform when you're not sure exactly what is going on behind you. Now, Jesus' disciples were not playing soccer. They were doing something much more important. They were building the church. So in the weeks leading up to our sermon text today, Jesus had died on the cross, and then he had risen from the dead... And very shortly after this, Jesus was going to ascend into heaven. He would physically be gone from this earth, and he would leave his disciples with the important job of his great commission that he said, you guys are going to go and make disciples of all nations. But how could they do it without their star player? How could Jesus' disciples possibly escape getting killed by the same Jewish leaders that had actually succeeded at killing Jesus? And when they got forced out and spread out from Jerusalem across the Gentile world, how were they going to convince these pagan Greeks who for generations had been worshiping different false gods, how were they going to convince them to just suddenly switch and start worshiping Christ? How would they plant churches in cultures that were unfamiliar to them, surrounded by people who disagreed with them? Go and make disciples of all nations. It was an intimidating task. And you can tell how intimidated the disciples were because just think about this. In our text, Jesus appears to them, the risen Jesus in his flesh, amazing miracle, here he is alive. Some of them are seeing him for the third or fourth or fifth time. And when they see the risen Lord, what is their reaction? It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. So, doubt is a thing we're going to talk about just a little bit this morning. And doubt is a very destructive thing, as we will find. Even a small amount of doubt, even just a little bit of doubt in the back of your mind, can have a huge effect on the way that you do things. For example, if a soccer team doubts the skills of their goalie, they are not going to play soccer the way that they should. If a husband doubts the faithfulness of his wife, or a wife doubts the faithfulness of her husband, they're not going to connect and communicate the way that they should. And if a Christian doubts the power of God, the promises of God, the strength of God's word, then that Christian is not going to share their faith in the way that they should. So doubt is destructive. Even a little bit of it is destructive, but it is especially destructive towards mission work. And I think this makes sense if you just really think about what mission work is. If you are a missionary, which you are, if you're doing mission work, which you are, what are you sharing? You're sharing your faith with people. But when you share your faith, it's not the same as sharing your favorite sports team or sharing your favorite pizza topping. Like when you share your faith, that's the most personal, important thing that you have. You're sharing the thing that you lean on when everything else in your life is torn away. You're sharing, when you share your faith, you're sharing the thing that you are hoping for, for what is going to happen to you after you die. That you're going to go to be with God forever. Your faith is so personal and it's so important. So if you're incredibly confident in your faith, then you are very likely to share it because it's the most important thing you've got. Why would you not want other people to have it? But, if you are doubting in your faith, even just a little bit of doubt can be very detrimental to you sharing your faith. Because why would you? Why would you take your faith and put it up here to be analyzed and scrutinized and have people poke holes in it? And why would you put yourself out there to be maybe mocked or laughed at or even persecuted for something if you yourself are not even sure that it's true? So maybe we begin to understand now why the devil is such a huge fan of doubt. Because there is a lot that the devil can't do. The devil cannot... Put Jesus back in that grave. The devil cannot put your sins back on you. The devil cannot take away the faith that God has put in your heart. The devil cannot cancel the reservation that God has made for you in heaven. There's a lot of things the devil can't do. But what can the devil do? Well, what he can do is he can pick away at your faith, the foundation of your faith, with all of these tiny little doubts. And even if he doesn't get you to fall completely away from faith it is much more likely he'll be able to get you to fall away from faith-sharing. He wants to put that little bit of doubt in your mind, so then you think of your neighbor who has a hole in her heart, and you know that Jesus could fill that hole, and you say, well, I just don't know, I don't know if it's me, this could be somebody else, I'll just leave it for somebody else. Or you think of your coworker who you know is spiritually wandering, and you have what you wish that they could have, and you say, well, I'm just not sure what questions they're going to ask, I'll just leave it for somebody else to do. And the devil wants to undermine all of our faith with these little doubts. So we all say, well, I'll just leave that for somebody else to do, so that eventually nobody does it. And your neighbor with the hole, the Jesus-shaped hole in her heart, doesn't get to hear about Jesus filling that hole. And your coworker who's struggling doesn't get to have that comfort. And this person never gets to make it to heaven. And if that happens that is just as much of a win in the devil's book as if he had gotten you to fall. Does that make sense? So, I mean, the devil loves doubt. And when you trace it through the Bible, you can actually see doubt has been one of the devil's top weapons since the very beginning. What was the first temptation in the entire Bible? It was a temptation to doubt. Like, do you really trust God's promises? Does God really know what he's talking about? He tempted Adam and Eve to doubt doubt. God's word and to eat that forbidden fruit and, well, the rest, as they say, is history. Um, But in the New Testament, the time of our sermon text today, the devil is tempting Jesus' disciples to doubt whether they could really build the church when Jesus physically has ascended back into heaven. And today, for you, for us, every day, the devil is trying to get us to doubt whether we could really stick our neck out there, whether it is really worth it for us to try to take that conversation in a spiritual direction, whether we could really be a missionary to our friend or neighbor, or if we should just let somebody else do it. So the devil's key weapon is doubt, and his objective is to silence the gospel message, and he's very good at what he does. But Jesus is much better at what he does. And so in our sermon text today, what we get from Jesus is we get encouragement as missionaries. Like we said, if you're a Christian, by nature of who God has made you to be, you are a missionary. And as you look at this job of, like we talked about, with the kids going and sharing the good news to the world, Jesus gives us in our text today three pieces of powerful encouragement in our task. So here's the first one. It's a reminder of his authority. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As Jesus says this, he's reminding his disciples and he's reminding us, first of all, that that he's God. He created the entire universe in six days, and he could have done it in one, but he just felt like doing it in six. He's got all the power over everything in our physical created world because he made it all. And think, to Jesus' disciples who are hearing these words and thinking about it, over the past three years of ministry, they had seen Jesus' authority over all of the elements of this world. They had seen Jesus walking on the water, changing water into wine, healing people who were sick, basically just doing whatever he wanted with the physical elements of this world because he's God. He created them. He has authority over the whole universe. But in the weeks leading up to our sermon text, Jesus' Jesus' disciples had seen that he had even greater authority than that. Because in just the weeks before this, you think through, what had they seen? With their own eyes, they had seen Jesus get nailed to a cross and hang there until his heart stopped beating. And they had seen Roman soldiers stab him with a spear to make verifiably sure that he was dead. And they had seen his lifeless body put into a tomb with a giant rock rolled in front of it. Then it was sealed. Then Roman soldiers came to guard it. And still, three days later, Jesus rose. He rose in the flesh. He rose exactly the way he wanted to do it. And in so doing, he proved that he has authority over the biggest things of all. Bigger even than the trees and the ocean and the rocks and the sickness and health, Jesus has authority over sin and death and hell and Satan. Authority to take all of our sins and put them on himself and pay for them with his blood. He has authority to take the perfect life he lived and put it on us and make it count for us. Authority to book for us a spot in heaven. Authority to raise us from our graves one day and bring us physically to be there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And therefore, there is nothing in heaven or on earth for Christian missionaries to be afraid of. As a missionary named Paul said it, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in this universe that Jesus is not in authority over, and so there is nothing in this universe for Christians to be afraid of. The early Christians did not have to be afraid of the Jewish persecution or the Gentile persecution because Jesus had authority over it all. You do not have to be afraid of secular worldviews or questions people might have or church hostile mindsets that are out there because Jesus is an authority over it all. We don't have to be afraid of pandemics or social unrest or our own sins or our own weaknesses or the devil himself. There is nothing that Jesus does not have authority over. And so having Jesus' authority at our back as we do his mission work, it is better having a superstar goalie behind you. It's really more like someone snuck in before the game with bricks and mortar and they blocked up the entire goal from side to side and from top to bottom. Our enemy can't possibly score because he's already been defeated. We can't possibly lose because Jesus has already won. And so with just this brick wall of his authority at our back, we don't have to be tentative, we don't have to be afraid, but we can boldly press forward and pursue our mission to go and make disciples of all nations. As we do that, Jesus gives us a second piece of reassurance. Not only has he given us the authority to carry out his mission, he also has given us the tools to do it with. I don't know how often you've thought about this. What are the tools God has given you to go do your mission work? But, uh, you know, how does Jesus say this? Does he, how, he says, go and make disciples of all nations by having the perfect answer prepared for any question everyone's going to ask. That's not how he said it. Um, did he say, go and make disciples of all nations by coming up with an innovative and creative new type of building, a giant cathedral that's going to dominate the Atlanta skyline for years to come? That's not how he said it. Does he say, go and make disciples of all nations by having a superstar pastor who has more Instagram followers than Kylie Jenner, Ariana Grande, and Cristiano Ronaldo, who are the top three? That's not how Jesus said it. And that's good, because your pastor hardly knows how to use Instagram. Um, How did Jesus say it? He says, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, mission work can be hard, it can be challenging, but sometimes mission work can be really, really easy. The Word and the sacraments are very straightforward tools. How hard is it to take a few handfuls of water and pour them over a person's head and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's not hard. I've done it a whole bunch of times. How hard is it to tell somebody what Jesus has done? It might be really hard to have the conversation. We might be sweating like how they're going to react. But when it comes down to sharing the piece of good news that our world needs, it's so simple that all of our kids could do it. They easily said it this morning, right? What is the good news about Jesus? Well, he died on the cross to take our sins away so we can go to heaven someday. It's really simple. It's pretty straightforward. The devil wants us to make it harder than it is. And he wants us to overthink it and put a ton of pressure on ourselves and look at our weaknesses and look at our limitations until we finally say, well, I I can't do it. I can't do the mission work. But as the devil lies to us and tricks us, he's hoping we don't recognize the secret. And the secret is, we aren't the ones doing the mission work. God is the one doing the mission work. Through baptism, God is the one who is pouring out forgiveness of sins and new life and salvation and grabbing hold of a person's heart and claiming them as a member of his family. God is the one doing that. And when we share God's word, whether it's you just talking to your neighbor about what your faith means to you, whether it's a Bible uh, verse that you text to somebody, it's God who works through his word and who works through that gospel message to build in somebody's faith a glowing appreciation for how much their Savior means to them. God does the mission work. So hopefully, this is just a huge relief as we're thinking about ourselves as missionaries or as we're thinking of our setting here as a mission church. We work so hard on mission work. But as we're working on mission plans and outreach strategies and a building project coming up and social media content and all of this stuff that we work on, all the work that we do is really just setting the stage for God to do his work. God is the one who makes disciples of all nations. We just get to have the joy of of helping. So what have we learned so far? Jesus is standing at our back, with his authority. We don't have to be scared. We can be confident. Then as we go about our mission and we're wondering how to do it, well, Jesus goes in front of us and he gives us the tools in his word and sacraments. The final reassurance that we have this morning from Jesus' mouth directly to us is not only that he's behind us, not only that he's in front of us, but also that he is by our side. Surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I may be going physically back to heaven, but spiritually I am surely with you to the very end of the age. Uh, This verse, I think, would probably be a favorite verse for a lot of different Christians. And I'm guessing the reason it's such a beloved verse is because it's so strongly phrased. Jesus doesn't say, maybe I'll be with you. I'll try to be with you. We'll see what happens. I might get busy. He says, surely I am with you. And not some of the time, not most of the time, surely I am with you always. And then how long does this last? Well, it lasts all the way to the end of the age. And so this promise means that Jesus is with all of his missionaries all of the time during both the highs and the lows of their mission work. So in the early church, Jesus was with his disciples, even though physically he was gone, spiritually he was with them both on the day that they got arrested and whipped for sharing the gospel And then also on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people became Christians in one day, Jesus was with them through all of it, the highs and the lows. And here in Atlanta, Jesus has been with us as a church during the highs and lows of our mission work. He was with us for six months when all we did was only online worship, and the only way we could communicate with each other was Facebook comments. And we did it. And he was with us, and his word encouraged us, maybe most of all, because we are locked up and, and waiting for it. And then Jesus is also with us now, when many of us are back in person, when our church is growing and growing, when today we celebrated the sixth baptism so far that we've had this calendar year. Jesus is with us during the highs and the lows of all of it. And so it is with you in your personal mission work. Jesus is with you in the highs and the lows. So he's going to be with you when you like you get your courage up and you talk to your neighbor and you actually talk about their faith and you invite them to church and not only do they say no but they do actually laugh at you. And Jesus is going to be with you. But then Jesus is also going to be with you when you invite your coworker and they don't laugh at you and they actually do maybe come to your church. Then they come a few more times because they love hearing about Jesus' love for them. And then one day they're in Bible basics class. And then one day they're getting baptized. And then maybe one day they become a member of this church. But more importantly, one day you die and go to heaven, and they're there. And you get to spend all eternity with a person because God used your temporary time here on earth to overlap and connect with them. And you got to share with them the gospel of Jesus. Jesus will be with you. He'll be waiting for you in heaven, saying, See, guys, we did this. He's with you in the highs and the lows of all of your mission work. So we're talking all month about outreach and mission work, and some people would say that the hardest, most challenging part about mission work, whether it's as a church or whether it's as individuals, that the hardest part about it is the uncertainty. right? Because you're going to put yourself out there, and you're just not sure what's going to happen. The hardest part is the uncertainty. But I would argue the most exciting part of mission work is the uncertainty because we already have certainty on all the most important things. You think about all the things we know. We know that Jesus has our back. We know that Jesus goes in front. We know that Jesus is by our side. We know there's a spot in our Father's house that has been reserved for us. We know that our sins are gone and Jesus is with us. I mean, the only thing we don't know is what people are we going to be able to bring with us along the way. What people is Jesus going to connect our life to so that they too can be part of his mission? What people do you already know that maybe God is going to use you to bring them the gospel? What people have you not even met Yet, And in five, ten years, God is going to steer your path to intersect with theirs. So that becomes a brotherhood, a sisterhood that lasts forever in heaven. That uncertainty is the only thing we don't know. I think the uncertainty is the most exciting part of mission work. Because we trust in God, we put his word out there, we look through our relationships to share with people, and then we just get to see and find out what God wants to work and who God wants to reach through our life, through our relationships, through our words. And so may God bless each one of us as we think of ourselves as missionaries. May he bless us with confidence and excitement to share his good news with people around us and then sit back and get to see what happens. God grant us that excitement uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen.